Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast, featuring dream-accelerating inspiration. I'm Jeff Meyer, your host, author, entrepreneur, and coach. My goal with this podcast is to help you identify and clarify your own dream by taking wisdom from others' successes and challenges. If you're looking to take action on your dream, to make a difference doing something you love, but your fears are holding you back, then this podcast is for you. If you're interested in finding additional support, you can also check out my Dream Accelerator coaching program designed to help realize your full potential and reshape your future. As always, you can learn more about my Dream Accelerator program at jeffmeyer.org. Using my Dream Accelerating formula, heart-centered entrepreneurs can focus on their dream, name their fears, change their mindset, define their next, and move forward anyway. Welcome back, fellow successful dreamers, to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast. Today, I am really excited to have uh, uh, my brother here, Dave Chesson. And uh, for all you authors out there, a valuable resource to put in your tool belt. Uh, get a hold of Dave and use his, his goods. He's helped me tremendously with my books that have been authored. So, Dave, thank you so much for jumping on, telling us a little bit about your entrepreneurial story. How are you doing yeah. today? Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um, as for today, I'm good. A little tired, but, uh, you know, um, doing my thing and, and just feeling blessed about, you know, being able to work from home and to see my kids. Awesome. So you have kids and where is your home? So I live in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, for those who haven't been to it, it's uh, it's this little quaint, awesome city just south of Nashville. Uh, it's about 25 minute drive right into uh, downtown Nashville. I can go see the Predators, you know, in that time period. But <laughs> it's such a really neat town, though. I shouldn't be saying this because we have the saying here in Franklin where because so many people are moving here. Oh, my goodness. Like lots of people Boomin. are. Yeah. Um, especially people from California and New York, like are really born in. And so we're always, we say to people, this is no kidding of Franklin term, but, um, we're glad you're here, but please don't tell anybody, (laughs) you know, because it's like, come on now. Don't let the secret out. Don't let the secret out. That's right. So, yep. Really blessed to be here. I've got, um, three children. I've got a 21 year old. I've got a 10 year old and an eight year old. And the 21 year old is a softball superstar. Um, and has a full ride to Lehigh University. I've watched a lot of clips on Facebook because you've shared her uh, her expertise on the field. She can. She is very, very gifted. Yeah, she's she is she is something. She's different between the field and in person. Like you meet her in person, and she's very bubbly. You know, doesn't show any type of competitiveness. You know, just like yeah. okay, let's go do this. Like da 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 da. And then uh-huh. she gets on the field, and like nothing faces her. You could have two strikes on her, no balls, and she's like, it doesn't matter. She's not playing that game. You know, and I'm just like, who are you? And where? Yeah, where are you when we're home? Like you know, it's like so. She's awesome. She's great. She is focused and. uh that's awesome. We also share uh, uh, some similarities. Uh, I am live in Madison, Wisconsin, and you have a little bit of history with Madison as well. Yes, went to UW Madison um, from 2001 to 2005 for my physics degree, and uh, used to uh, went to high school in Kakana, Wisconsin. So I got the whole cheesehead thing going on. Nice. 
Awesome. So um, you got a physics degree and came out of Madison, and now you run seven companies, and um, you've just launched an, a new product, a new company called Atticus. I've been a beneficiary of your work with Kindlepreneur. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about a physics degree to helping all these authors and whatever else you're up to, how did you get from physics degree to launching all of these companies? Where was the genesis of that? Yeah, well, you know, um, what's funny is, is that I got the military to pay for my college degree. I went ROTC. And the day I graduated, I became a, um, a commission officer in the Navy. I went to nuclear engineering on submarines, which is why I thought, hey, I'll study physics because I'm about to do a whole bunch yeah. of that. Um, did that, did not enjoy it. <laughs> Found out I was cramming a square peg through that round hole and it hurt all the way yeah. through, but I did it. Um, got into military diplomacy was, uh, at that point I was kind of sent all over the world, but a lot of times it was without my family. My wife and I started to talk about that. We're like, Hey, what, what's our real goal here? What do we want to do? And it wasn't to be an admiral. It wasn't some, you know, 20 years in the military, anything like that. We wanted to find a way. And so for me at the time I was stationed in Korea. And I started looking for some kind of exit plan, some way to um, build. And the goal was to make more money doing something on the side than I get as a, at that time, as a lieutenant commander uh, in the Navy. And if I could do that and I could do it consistently, then I could get out of the military, be home with my family and, you know, and, and make sure to take care of them. So being on the other side of the world is kind of complicated because you can't do certain things. You can't do a brick and mortar. You can't do anything, you know, drop shipping. You can't do anything that requires um, you know, uh, support because, you know, while America's awake, I'd be asleep. Um, plus also too, I was all constantly having to go out to sea from time to time on South Korean warships. So what business or what thing can you start and just disappear? Like, just like that for like three weeks and have zero internet access. And at that point that that could kill a lot of opportunities. And so honestly, uh, Kindle direct publishing, self publishing my own books was like, one of the only options. I was like, well, I'm going to make this happen because I want to be home with my family. And so I started studying. Now, I've never been a great writer. As a matter of fact, I grew up, well, I still have to this day dyslexia. Uh, I always say grow up with dyslexia, but you don't really ever lose it. Um, but yeah. sure enough, I just kind of came into this point of thinking I'm never like writing's not for me. I stink at it. I hope for a C, but I get A's and everything else. But when it comes to anything English, I'm like, oh, dear Lord, please give me a C. Um, so how would somebody like me get into this? And what I started doing was I realized I can't sit down and write anything I want. Instead, I need to understand how the Amazon market works. Why does Amazon choose to show that book over this one? And hey, what are people searching for on Amazon and they're not finding? Like, wouldn't it be great if I could figure out a book or a book subject or test my ideas and verify, will Amazon help me to sell? Because for me, I was going out to see, I couldn't market my books. I needed Amazon. Uh, Amazon, you know, and the beautiful thing about Amazon is when they sell it, they take care of all of the logistics and the support mm -hmm. and all of that. So this was like my thing. So I really started studying and specializing and understanding what makes Amazon tick. Uh, I started really seeing a lot of success with my books. And then from there, I started to chronicle. Uh, what I learned and what I was doing. And that's where I created my main website, Kindlepreneur. Uh, that's like Kindle Entrepreneur, but Kindlepreneur.com. Uh, mm -hmm. 
and uh, started creating articles just showing what I did and, and teaching about what happens and how authors can get their books in front of more shoppers. And so from there, things just kind of exploded. Wow. So you, you talked about some, you, you alluded to, you, you mentioned it briefly, some of the reservations you had in getting into this market and launching this effort with your, with your grades in, in English. Talk to me about how you managed to push through that. Uh, the podcast is named Move Forward Anyway. It's, it's designed to help entrepreneurs that inevitably run up against their own fears and their own reservations about their dream move forward anyway. How did you manage to keep pushing through even though you weren't, expert, you weren't an expert writer? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things, one of the things that's really important is the reason why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, now, a lot of people will say, well, I want to make more money, you know, or I want more money on the side, or I want the idea of somebody reading a book. That's never going to be enough to really get you over the hump. You know, there's going to be a lot of roadblocks. You're going to have failures. Failure is failure. Like it just happens. Um, you know, we can spend four or five hours talking about all the failures I did until I had the first success. Um, but when it became something more about being home with my kids and being able to support them, that's the kind of thing where I can't watch another episode on Netflix knowing full well that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do in order to be home with my kids, right? That's going to stop me for sure. Or when you hit the first roadblock, you know, instead of just throwing up my hands and being like, well, this isn't for everyone. I can't accept that. Like, I just can't. And so I think it's really important for you to really, really figure out the why. And if you're if you're saying to yourself, it's I need extra money. The next question you should ask yourself is why? Well, yes. because I need this. Why? And dig down to the actual root of it all. And then remember that. And I think that will be the thing that gets you up, that helps you to sacrifice. You know, uh, another statement that I, I really dislike in the especially in the online world is everybody says, do what you're passionate about. But I'm going to break this word up just a little bit. You see, the word passion comes from the uh, uh, the word passi, okay, the Latin word passi, which actually means, um, and some some will say that actually um, the word passi was created to reflect Jesus Christ, like because mm, he his believed in something so much that he was willing to die for it, and they wanted a word for it, which is also why Mel Gibson chose that title for his movie, Passion of the Christ, um, yeah. and. But I, regardless of its etymology and where it came from, the key point, though, is that the real definition of passion is that it's something you are willing to suffer for, that no matter what, you will get through it. Mm. It's not what makes you feel good. It's not what makes you happy. If you're choosing to do this kind of thing based off of what makes you feel happy, that's a hobby. And when the moment that that hobby starts to become a little hard, that's a moment you give up. That's a moment. Yeah. It's just, let's find a new hobby. Let's find a new thing that makes me feel good. But if you can legitimately use the old version of the word passion, I'm so passionate about this. I'm willing to suffer for it. That's the moment. That's the aha moment, you know? And I think that that's when you, you can tell when somebody has real passion for something. And I know right then and there, they're going to be successful. But when they're like, oh, this is fun. It's like, You've got some growth to go. Good luck with that. Yeah. So yeah. for me, my passion was being with my kids. My, my passion was to not stop until I found that that way, that that moment. And so I hit every roadblock and I pushed right through it no matter what. Um, 
You know, I remember the first time I made a website and I made $2. Like we're talking about like two and a half months of work. And uh, I earned two US dollars. Now, most people would have said I wasted two and a half months. This is stupid. You can't make money. My moment was looking at it says, I just created two dollars out of thin air. You can actually make money online. Wow. Like that's the different mentality. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this again, but I'm going to learn from my mistakes and I'm going to do it faster and better. And you know what? I then made another website and I did. I, I built it in about a month, like built it up in a month and I made eight dollars. Most people would have quit at that point, but I was like, I forexed. Let's do it again. Right. I, I'm picturing some kind of free offer that says 4X your 4X your yeah, business. Right. <laughs> you know, and so I did it again. And and so that's a really big part of it. Um, and each time I was writing, each time I was learning, I was gaining knowledge, I was gaining experience. And when you combine knowledge and experience, you gain intuition. And I started to make more intuitive dis- decisions that made things easier with time. And so to recap on those things, I say one, really figure out what your real suffering passion is about. That can be, and that could be about the goal or it can be about the process. Okay. And the second thing about that too, is be prepared for failure because it really is a part of every story. You might not hear it as much, but failure is huge. And if you have that right passion, you'll push right through it. Tell me some of your sufferings, some of your failures. Well, like I said, those first couple of websites uh, were really big failures um, to most people. To me, I, I didn't see it as that. Um, did you ever see the um, the cartoon uh, DuckTales? You know, with Scrooge yeah. the Duck, yeah. right? Well, what's awesome is, is that he had that lucky dime. And that lucky dime was like his first ever dime he made as an entrepreneur. And he's kept it. And then he has like uber luck because he keeps it. But I wish that I had somehow two dollars two dollars and i would have framed it on the wall and it would have been the coolest reminder ever because those two dollars were the difference maker on how i saw them i didn't see them as a failure i saw them as success so i would say that when we talk about these failures it's you know i don't really look down on them and i don't really like to consider them failures because they were stepping stones to where i am today so one somebody once asked me the question hey if you could if you could go back in time and tell yourself something you know or you know, warn yourself about something, what would you do? And I'm like, honestly, I would probably talk about, uh, you know, the sports and, you know, stuff like that. I wouldn't talk about uh, these things because I should, I need to kind of experience those things. Um, you know, maybe some advice of like, get a coach sooner. Uh, mm. But I mean, I would not try to warn myself or stop myself from making a mistake because a lot of who I am today is the mistakes I made in, in the past. Because you learned a ton with every step and I, I can relate to that. For sure. Yeah, I would say um, that there's there's even a better level of understanding because I did it and failed than if somebody had stopped me and said, hey, buddy, you know, you might not want to do that because of this. Um, so, like I said, I don't want to mess with the past. I've, I've watched Back to the Future way too many times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Kindlepreneur, uh, Atticus was just released, um, and I'm a proud customer as well of that. And oh, very cool. excited to be a part of helping me continue to write. Um, having used Scrivener and, you know, uh, Google Docs, but uh, this looks like a really cool launch that you've just launched. 
So a lot of a lot of dreams, a lot of entrepreneurial ventures begin with someone realizing that there's a gap mm. and they want to fix it. And you talked to this, you talked about this a little bit earlier with um, Amazon and why trying to figure out their algorithm and why they promote certain books over others and so forth. What are the problems that you are trying to solve in those two, those two businesses that you've launched for authors? What are you what are you trying to offer people? What gap are you trying to fill for them with your with your launches? That's a really good question. The um, and the truth is I'm going to break that question into two parts. Um, so we can talk about exactly the gap that I'm looking uh, that I'm that I am looking to fill with the creation of Atticus. But then I want to talk to you about the the decision reasons as well. See, yeah. you can have a passion or a desire to change something, but also too, there's a lot of things that go into it. There's a lot of passions or things that I want to change, but I can't. Or I would think it would be a very low ROI on my time and effort and resources. So I want to break that into two. Yeah. Uh, so with regards to Atticus itself, um, being in the industry and having been a writer for years now, uh, I have had a lot of pain points with the software and the programs <laughs> and the tools that are out there. Um, first and foremost, we can start with what we launched with. So Atticus right now is an excellent book formatting software where you can write and has a couple of tools to assist you in your writing. I think that's kind of a fair statement of right now. Um, mm -hmm. But we wanted to launch with that as a starter. And the reason why we decided to launch with that as a starter is because at the time there really was only one legitimate book formatting software that was intuitive, easy to use and formatted uh, professional looking books. And that was Vellum. The problem about Vellum though was Vellum only worked on Macintosh computers. It did not work for PC. And so half the market existed in the case where they were either using Mac and cloud to somehow try to use this program that they paid for, or they were buying Macintosh computers. I mean, seriously, they really were uh, to use this program. That's how easy and great it was. Um, it was also very expensive. And so what we decided to do is say, okay, we're going to make a software that basically does what Vellum does, but here's some ways to improve it. And then on top of that, let's make it work for all computers. Um, and so we have a way of designing that. And then on top of that, I want to make sure that authors can write in it and then format it. Whereas authors are honestly just uploading a document that they wrote into Vellum and using it. Um, so starting off, we wanted to provide for the entire market instead of just one segment. But that's not the goal. That's not the overall objective of what Atticus will be, because uh, we designed all of the, what I'm about to say with uh, this in mind. Um, I envision, and we are working day and night to add new features to do this, but I envision this as a software where authors can plot, write, collaborate with their editors in for and format without ever having to leave it. Uh, right now, an author will use a plotting software that's out there. So they're paying for that subscription. Then when they're finally plotted it out, they'll go over to something like Scrivener, a paid book writing mm -hmm. software. Um, Scrivener does have formatting, but there's a $50 course on how to use it. <laughs> right. That's it's probably a good way to say it. It's yeah. very complicated. Uh, you have no idea what your book looks like. Like there's all these things. It wasn't built to do it. It just can do it. Um, so when you write in Scrivener, you then export it to Word document. You then 
email the Word document back and forth, back and forth with your editor, because most editors really only will only accept Word because they like track changes. Uh, I have, I wish they would actually accept like Google Docs, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, because then I could do real time with them. But yeah, okay. So either way, so you're emailing back and forth. And by the time you're finished with your editor, you probably have six or seven different files on your desktop that say final on it. Like final, Mass final, final, yeah. yeah, all caps, final, final edited, <laughs> like edited version number two. And you're like, and so, and I've talked to enough about it. I've done this once. I then sent off the wrong file to get formatted by somebody and ended up with the wrong book because a whole section of the book wasn't edited. And so that was like a major uh, kerfuffle thanks to the naming system. But okay, say you do, say you choose the right one. Then you either, A, you're paying a formatter hundreds of dollars to format it. And you, and by the way, if you ever need to make a change on that, you got to pay them again to because, oh boy, I made a mistake. Hey, I need changes. Oh, I got to reformat it. You know, so they're cha-ching. Um, or you're then uploading it to a software like Vellum that specializes in it and you're formatting it. Well, we envision that Atticus will be the one spot for you to do all those things. You can plot within it. You can then write with all these tools to help you in, in your book writing because it will be designed for book writing. Then when the time comes, you can uh, click send a link to your editor. The editor can click it, open up, get a free editor account on Atticus, it will look exactly like Word and track changes and all of that functionality. So, you know, because we're not going to teach an editor a new trick on that. Um, they go through and they do it. But what's awesome is for you, the Atticus owner, you can look at your book and see real time that they're making those changes and you can accept or decline the changes. And when the time's done, you then just go to formatting mode, you format it, and voila, your entire project is right there. There's no seven different files or anything like that. And so that is my, shall we say, flag that I'm planting in the ground. That's exactly what we, what we built Atticus for um, and where we're going. And like I said, anybody who owns it will get all those up, updates and you know new features absolutely free. Um, so that's the answer to the first part. But let's go back now. Now that you kind of know that context, let's go back to the mm -hmm. business decision of it. Um, first and foremost, for me, it's not just that I know the market or that I knew about this pain point. Okay. But for me, I also own a one third um, stake in a software development company. Uh, to develop something like Atticus would require like some of the best programmers. And so I made sure I got that first. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, is that um, you know, running Kindlepreneur, I have um, a, a lot of influence in the market, um, you know, an email list. Um, like, I clearly know that there is a market and I have access to, to be able to talk to them and show them about this product. There's a lot of times where people will be like, hey, I, I came up with this really good solution. And they then spend thousands of dollars to build the solution. And then they have they don't know how to market it or how to get it out there. And so that's how a lot of companies really fail. So and it's kind of like with my book writing, right? I didn't mm -hmm. want to just sit down and write any old book and hope that Amazon helps. I want to do the market research and verify that there was a market so that then I could put that book in front of them. Um, so we did that. And the third thing was, is that it was very clear that there was a business model that was existing and that that business model um, was so good that people would buy Macintosh in order to use it. And these people were not being served or helped. And that was a very clear thing. 
So to kind of recap on that, you know, my goal is to create personal goal, especially as a writer, is to create a system where I never have to leave it. And I don't have those problems we talked about. From a business perspective, we had a backing, we had um, a market that we could reach out to, we had the ability to actually build the tool. Um, and then finally, too, is very clear that there was a giant gaping hole in the market. Yeah, so you found something that was relatively successful in Bellum, but it had some major flaws that kept kept people from actually benefiting from it the way that they could. You had the 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 resources and the wherewithal to leverage that and to develop begin developing this Atticus. Exactly. And what's really interesting for me too with um, entrepreneurs that I'm working with in the Dream Accelerator is that there is this pressure to come out of the gates with the fully developed thing attaining to the vision that the entrepreneur has. And there's great frustration when they can't get there on step number one. And you're hearing, you're hearing Dave tell you right now that even with all of his resources and all of his expertise in the market, Atticus was launched and it's still, it is not where he intends it to be ultimately. Absolutely. Right? So yep. talk a little bit about that. Give some encouragement to the listeners about the entrepreneurial process that you've got to launch. You've got to put an MVP out there. You've got to, you've got to get people using things to develop it the way that it needs to be developed. You can't come out of the gates. You can't wait till you've got it perfect to launch it. Right. Yeah. Um, there's an old saying that says that if you if you're not uncomfortable when you go to launch it, you probably waited too long. Um, but that's not to say that that uh, it's about creating a, a faulty or crappy product. That's not the case. What it is, though, is understanding where there's a mark where you can actually start serving people. Um, you know, mm -hmm. when we launch Atticus alone on phase one, uh, just to give current pricing differences um, at the moment of this recording that for Vellum, which again is only for formatting and only works on Macintosh, it is $249.99 for both ebook and book. Atticus is $147 for both ebook and book, basically does everything they do, but works on all computers. That alone, even if we just said, you know what, we're not going to do anything else. We're just going to go toe to toe with this company and we're going to um, deliver and then get into a pricing war, some, something of the magnitude, right? Yeah, that's like it still would be a good product because every PC user, that's half. That's at it's least available half to everybody. Market, right? yeah. Yeah. They now have a solution that they did not have. So we were able to absolutely do that. But for me, though, especially in software, I have my number one rule with my team. I call it the ABBA rule. Um, and it's always be adapting. And that's always be looking for ways to take your idea and improve upon it. Because the moment that you start to not do that and you don't make that a part of the culture of your team um, is the moment you start to stagnate, the moment you start to show loss of life. And that can be a problem. That can be the same thing for courses. It can be the same thing for building a website or books. The moment you stop adapting, the moment you stop uh, looking for ways to keep things up to date, that can be the beginning of the end. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said that as soon as you can begin with your product or your idea to serve people, you should start. Absolutely. That, that is, is that's really, the best way really to helpful. define what an MVP is. The moment yeah. you believe people can be helped by this, yeah, 
there you go. You've hit your MVP. And ABBA, not the 70s band that's making a comeback, but ABA, always be adapting. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. And, and receiving the feedback of those users and, um, and our, you know, with all the changes that are happening so rapidly, you've got to be adapting, whatever your dream is. If you, if you get locked into a system or one way of doing thing with your dream, um, you're, it's, it's not going to succeed. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Atticus came out as a result of your work with Kindlepreneur and, and trying to help authors. Um, talk to me about some of the other ventures you're involved in. Because one of the things is a lot of people think that I have one dream. And you're showing me that by looking at your life that you have multiple multiple dreams. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, one of the things I've found is that the more you start growing, especially in your business, the more opportunities just start to happen. Um, you know, it's, and, and the hardest part at this point is being able to tell them, no, uh, there's so many times where people are going to be like, and you're like, you're right. That's a good idea. That's cool. I just don't have the resources to do that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of these things kind of keep growing upon it. Um, I, so when I bought, so we talked about Kindlepreneur, I own a software called Publisher Rocket, which was my first foray into software. Um, then I, I bought the, we talked about the one third stake in the software development company. And I did that because I needed access to better programmers and a better understanding of the business of programming, um, the business of software. And so that was done for Rocket and that helped me to really improve it. Then at that point, that's when I was like, you know what? I've got the resources to be able to build Atticus. Now, finally, I've got the right team. I've got the, uh, the best chief technical officer and I've got the best, you know, all these things. So we're like, we can do this. We can actually do this. This is awesome. Uh, there's always these ideas, but when it comes to it technology-wise, sometimes the technology isn't there or sometimes the, the knowledge of the technology isn't there. So we did that. Um, that software development company, I actually ended up taking over as CEO. Um, so I'm running that company. Um, and that's really been excellent because it's allowed me to kind of get the right team and kind of create the focus for the company. And what we did was, we decided that we would section off a certain number of our programmers and sort of turn the company into an incubator. And an incubator uh, is where you start a company builds out companies. So one of the things we did was uh, we looked at um, developing the equivalence of Workable. Um, and for those who don't know Workable, Workable mm-hmm. is like a job applicant tracking system, but it's extremely expensive. Um, you know, it's, it's not cheap. And because that and things like greenhouse.io are not cheap, we decided that what if we were to create exactly what Workable is, but we price it and develop it for, say, third world countries and smaller countries that do not have access to this. And so there are a lot of countries in the world that only have um, the equivalence of Craigslist, you know, as, as their entire job market. So what we did was we built something called rooster.org. Uh, rooster.org and it is workable but it also comes with its own like monster.com and so 
We develop modern hiring processes in these countries. We work with universities to get their students put right into the system so they can help with getting jobs. And then all the businesses have been deciding to use us because they're like, wow, what is this thing? ATSs, this is neat. And so that's been really cool. Uh, we just got a um, uh, an, uh, our latest valuation. We'll be doing a series A in January. Um, and so that company broke off from the software dev and now it's doing its own thing. And we have a whole bunch of investors, which is nice. So that's another one of them. Wow. You just keep following, following where the open doors allow you to, to proceed. That's really, yeah, cool. that's, that's kind of it. I mean, when you start to really build a platform and you build kind of an understanding and knowledge, um, you know, uh, you'll be able to kind of choose which opportunities you go after and that can be based off of competitive advantage and so now you know like we talked about right uh, about knowledge plus experience creates intuition and intuition is about making it the, the quicker better decision faster not always the right one but you're better about it and so how do you how do you manage the uh, self-talk when you spend two and a half months building something that makes two dollars um or you you spend thousands of dollars on something and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to and you have to pivot you have to make an adjustment how do you how do you um rein in the negative self talk about oh my gosh i just wasted all that time or oh i'll never recover that $1000 that i just blew on that particular effort that's not going anywhere we need to cut our losses and and move forward in this direction how do you how do you manage that self-talk? Well, first and foremost is um, I like to call it very expensive lessons. You know, I don't like to call it like, OK, so I did this. I lost out. Bummer. But guess what? If you just pivot and you move on without thinking about it, like it's not a lesson at that point. So first off, when I make a mistake or so, I really like to take time and do kind of like a critical analysis and actually look at what I did wrong. And I think that taking that critical analysis and actually looking at what I did wrong mm -hmm. will help me to make a better decision. And this leads me to my second point is I really don't like the word pivot. Um, I try not like I actually try to tell people pivoting is should be the last thing you do, um, because in our world, what happens is, is that people will try something. They'll dabble in something. And when they don't see the results they want, they then pivot to something mm -hmm. else and then they dabble in that. And then when they don't see the results they want, they pivot again. And what ends up happening is, is that as you pivot, you just start going in circles and you really never go anywhere because your brain is conditioned to think it didn't work for me. It worked for that guy, but it just didn't work for me immediately. Must, you know, must be something else. And so I, I believe that what you should do is that the moment you don't get the level of success that you're expecting or hoping you really should take that time to analyze what went wrong. What did you do? What could you do differently and make pivoting the last resort? Um, for example, the, the first website I built, right? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a moment of, you know, just sure, sheer ignorance. That wasn't a moment like I'm not an optimist or I'm not some like, you know, happy go lucky guy that's like, oh, my goodness, you know, like I got two dollars, you know, <laughs> uh, it was more or less like, huh? That was interesting. What did I do wrong? Or, you know, what could I have done differently? How could I make this more? And I said, you know, at that time, I just created a website and I listed a whole bunch of affiliate uh, things, but, and they, they converted when people came there, but I didn't realize that, you know, I, I was like, huh, how do I get people to go there? Yeah. And so 
And then I started learning about this SEO thing. And I was like, huh? Okay. Well, I don't think this project could support that. So why don't I build a website this time that was built for the focus of SEO? Actually, to tell you the truth, that was the third website. That was not the second one. The first one, I just built a list. And I was like, all right, let me go try it. Let me try this other marketing tactic to get people to it. That kind of happened and there was better. And then I was like, you know what? SEO seems like the thing. And so I applied that to what I was doing. I didn't pivot out of, right. of niche websites or growth. What I did do was analyze why I only got $2 or $8 and think about how I could do it differently and build off of that knowledge. So the first time so I, did instead it, of, I learned instead of pivoting, website. instead of pivoting, it's adapting, adapting the ABBA. Yeah. Adapting. ABBA. Always be adapting. And that was the thing is that um, if I had done the first website, I spent two and a half months building that thing, learning how to do WordPress. Okay. Yeah. And learning about these things called affiliate, you know, links. If I had just been like, well, that was a waste. I did two and a half months. I only made $2. Clearly this blogging thing doesn't work, which come on. Like, I mean, we say that, but it clearly does work, but we say clearly it doesn't work. And then we leave the entire thing. We go to something else. Well, that's now that really is two and a half months wasted because you're starting from scratch somewhere else. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is where people get burnout. That's where people can do years of this and never see anything is because they didn't just say, okay, how can I do this better? And, you know, so I would say your last resort should be pivoting when you've exhausted everything and then some, okay. And then some, I mean, really, um, and realize that your choice to pivot means your choice to start over. Um, and, I think that that was kind of one of the big parts to, uh, that was critical to my success was that I stuck with it and I stuck added to it and I grew. And now there's a deep knowledge in website development. There's a deep knowledge in SEO. There is a deep knowledge in writing a book. There is a deep knowledge in Amazon SEO and each thing built upon each other as I went forward. And I think also thinking about your story you're also true to who you are. You have a, you, you went to the university of Wisconsin, right. And you studied what you studied, which required a certain kind of thinking, a, a certain type of anal analytical mind. So you're, you're actually in the space using your analytical mind to help create these platforms that help people. Yeah, that the Navy kind of beat it into me too. Yeah, the um, Navy just pounded it into your head. Yeah, that whole that whole process, that idea. So first off, I'm going to have to give credit to the Navy on a couple of things. Number one, that whole knowledge plus experience equals intuition was something my my submarine captain once told me. He said, "Hey, Dave, as a junior officer on board the submarine, uh, you're you're you know, let's face it, you guys are just interns." which I kind of took offense to at first. Yeah, like, you guys are interns. My job though is to make you get in the books and learn, then put you in situations so you gain experience. So one day you're going to have intuitions to make better decisions when you're a department head. I was like, dang, Cap, that was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm going to use that. And he said, okay, so I get to use it. The second thing is that every time we made a mistake, especially when it was like uh, drills or reactor drills or something like that, nothing, nothing crazy big, you know, but like, oh, you didn't do this process or whatever. We would have this review board where we would stop and we would look at what happened, but it wasn't about, it wasn't supposed to be a witch hunt. Sometimes it was, um, but it was about actually figuring out what the real 
reason for the failure was. So, you know, petty officer so-and-so didn't turn this valve two and a half quarters to the left. Why? Is it because we he's not trained? Is it because maybe mm-hmm. uh, pit, that petty officer hasn't gotten sleep in two and a half days? And maybe we actually have an issue on the submarine where there is no sleep. Let's face it, that I'm making that up because the submarine would never admit to the fact that some mariners don't get enough sleep. Um, that could never be the answer. Uh Um, or could it be you know and so we really dig to try to diagnose the real problem so that we're not just fixing something we think but never actually getting to the problem itself and so while i hated those review boards with a passion um it just got ingrained to me the moment that there's a mistake or a, a, a problem that's a moment where i'm like hold up let's figure it out well is that really the problem Come on, let's dig deeper. Where's the real mm-hmm. problem and how can we build a system to fix it? Um, and I, I definitely think that that's a major part of my leadership within my organizations is hold the phone. Yeah. Let's re- stop thinking about everything else. Stop thinking about the operations. Look at this. Give it its due attention. And let's get our minds together and figure out how we actually solve the problem and not just cover up the symptom. Yeah, the the same thing you mentioned earlier, the five level deep of asking why could apply here too. Like, why did that happen? Well, he didn't turn the nozzle. Well, why didn't he turn the nozzle? Right. And just work it down till you find the the gold answer uh, to the dilemma and then fix it. Solve exactly. it. Solve for that. That's that's really insightful. Um what have I what have I not asked you that would give you uh, an open door to share what you want to share with the entrepreneurs who are listening right now? Well, I think we covered one of my favorite things to tell people, which is don't pivot um, and make that yeah, the last resort. Because I use the word. Thanks a lot, Joe. Yeah. Walk yeah. right into that one. Well, I mean, you could say that your your use of the word pivot was adapt. And my word, yeah. use of the word pivot where I flat out tell people don't do it is to change directions like yeah. dramatically, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to yeah. well, I'm going to, you know, the thing about marketing, especially marketing, there's like a million ways to market. Um, and some people, like I said, they're like, oh, look at all these options I could do. I'm going to do this. And oh, that's not working. So I'm going to go now do this other idea. And so that's what I'm trying to like stop people. Right. But here's the other thing. And I'm going to add to this um, is that the we're going to I want to solidify a statement that I made before, which is don't dabble, never dabble. Dabble's like the worst thing in the world. And that's where you're going to like test the waters. That's like sticking your toe in the pool to see if it's cold. Like I'm telling you, the, the most successful people are the ones that jump in. Um, and then they warm up to it. Yeah, it's shockingly cold, but then all of a sudden their bodies get attuned to it. Next thing you know, they're having fun in the water while the guy who put his toe in the water is like, oh, are you kidding me? That's cold. Like, why would I do that? Um, so I think that dabbling, yeah, don't dabble, make your choice and stick with it. Um, because if you dabble, you're never really going to see a good ROI on what you're doing unless you get lucky. And that, let's face it, that's really what you're going after at. But if you dabble, you're quick to pivot and then dabble. And then pivot and dabble and pivot. And that just sucks. I say treat whatever it is that you've chosen as a skill because skills take hundreds, if not thousands of hours to build. And when you approach it that way, you will be that much more successful. And the other thing, too, is that we hear a lot about lottery winners. Um, You know, there are people who go out there and they literally win the lottery. You know, they have this amazing once in a millennium you know, idea 
that just happens. Or they build something and the right person just somehow sees it. Like, and then we hear the story and then we think, wow, this is so quick. I did this for years. I, I think it was about three years before of like hardcore work before I really started to see a revenue that was higher than my job. Um, I, you know, I've been doing this online component for 10 years, but a lot of people kind of hear and they think, oh, he did this, 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 no failure. Boom, it just happened. Yeah. Right. You know, somebody says, uh, uh, I don't know who quoted this, but I love it. He said, you know, a lot of people look at me and they think that I was an overnight success. He was like, but I, you know what I was, I was an overnight success 10 years in the making. Yeah. So that's 10 times 365, right? Yeah. Wow. So that, um, three years, you said before you really saw the revenue more than you were making in your day job. So you started your whole, um, venture as a side hustle. I did. That's right. I was still in the Navy full time. And this was something where like, you know, I couldn't just get out of the Navy and figure it out. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to jump out of an airplane and build a parachute on the way down. Yeah. And furthermore, I had a whole bunch of mouths to feed. You know, I had the kids um, like I just could not do that. So what I needed to do, and this is something my wife and I decided together, was that if I could make $10,000 a month consistently for three months, then that's sign enough that I can tell the Navy I like my DD-214. Uh, which is my form to get out. Um, and so I did, I put my nose to that grindstone. I worked really crazily hard. I would get up at like four 30 in the morning and I'd write all the way up till seven when I would immediately jump out the door, go to work, come back at five, you know, and, and in this case, I was eat ramen noodle. Cause I was in, uh, um, Korea and uh-huh. I would get right back to work and I would work until it was time to, you know, fall asleep. And I would just repeat that Monday through Sunday. Um, when I was finally home with my family, you know, we had to create boundaries on that. Cause I, you know, I had family time, but I would still get up at four 30 in the morning, work till five, five to seven until the kids go to bed. But that was like intentional time with my children for sure. Mm-hmm. Like they got a hundred percent of dad. And then after that was my wife's decision if I could work or if she wanted to watch a movie with me or have wine and talk or whatever. And mm-hmm. we keep that schedule very strict. And that allows me to not only grow and build and learn continuously and grow these businesses, but at the same time, not lose who I am or why my, what my reason is for doing all these things. Awesome. I, I hope you guys who are listening appreciate this conversation as much as I do. Thank you, Dave, for uh, joining me on the podcast. Thank you for what you're doing for authors. I'm one among many who have been blessed. Um, thank you for continuing to cheer on the Badgers. Um, basketball season is coming. And it's going to be a different team this year, brother, from all what I'm hearing. It's going to be a different different kind of team. I hope so. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. How can people get in touch with you or find out more about what you're doing so that they can get the access to the help that you offer? Yeah, if uh, if they go to kindlepreneur.com. Um, right down at the bottom of the website, there's a contact me page, fill that out, uh, shoot over. If you've got any questions, comments, concerns about anything that was said, uh, hit me up and I'll be more than happy to reply. Awesome. Thank you. Enjoy uh, your, your next couple weeks coming up. I hope you get some time to breathe and enjoy the creation and uh, have some fun in the midst of all your hard work. Congratulations on all your success. And thank you for uh, being vulnerable and sharing a part of your life with us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And again, thank you for having me. You bet. Hey, fellow dreamer. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, jeffmeyer.org, for all of the show notes and links. And when you're ready to move from overthinking about your dream to actually taking action on it, consider joining the Dream Accelerator community. Our clients are getting crystal clear on their dream with our Dream Generator Vivid Description 5-Step Process. They're discovering the truth about fear and how to use it as fuel to take courageous steps in the right direction. And most importantly, they are walking a clear path forward because they have made an investment in themselves to confidently realize their dreams. The results are so inspiring. Having coaching and companions on the dream journey is crucial. Remember, fear will come, fear will stay. Move forward anyway.